Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Due to the sensitive nature of the content discussed in today's episode, parental discretion is advised. Today we're reading From Beautiful Joe by Margaret Marshall Saunders. Chapter 8. A Ruined Dog. I was a sporting dog, he said bitterly, for the first three years of my life. I belong to a man who keeps a livery stable here in Fairport, and he used to hire me out to shooting parties. I was a favorite with all the gentlemen. I was crazy with delight when I saw the guns brought out, and would jump up and bite at them. I love to chase birds and rabbits, and even now when the pigeons come near me, I tremble all over and have to turn away lest I should seize them. I used often to be in the woods from morning till night. I liked to have a hard search for a bird after it had been shot, and to be praised for bringing it out without biting or injuring it. I never got lost, for I'm one of those dogs that can always tell where human beings are. I did not smell them. I was too far away for that. But if my master was standing in some place, and I took a long round through the woods, I knew exactly where he was, and could make a shortcut back to him without doubling on my tracks. But I must tell you about my trouble. One Saturday afternoon, a party of young men came to get me. They had a dog with them, a cocker spaniel called Bob, but they wanted another. For some reason or other, my master was very unwilling to have me go. However, he at last consented, and they put me in the back of the wagon with Bob and the lunch baskets, and we drove off into the country. This Bob was a happy, merry-looking dog, and as we went along, he told me of the fine time we should have next day. The young men would shoot a little. Then they would get out their baskets and have something to eat and drink, and we'd play cards and go to sleep under the trees, and we should be able to help ourselves to legs and wings of chickens and anything we liked from the baskets. I did not like this at all. I was used to working hard through the week, and I preferred to spend my Sundays quietly at home. However, I said nothing. That night we slept at a country hotel and drove the next morning to the banks of a small lake where the young men were told there would be plenty of wild ducks. They were in no hurry to begin their sport. They sat down in the sun on some flat rocks at the water's edge and said they would have something to drink before setting to work. They took out some of the bottles from the wagon and began to take long drinks from them. Then they got quarrelsome and mischievous and seemed to forget all about their shooting. One of them proposed to have some fun with the dogs. They tied us both to a tree, and throwing a stick in the water, told us to fetch it. Of course, we struggled and tried to get free, and chafed our necks with the rope. After a time, one of them began to swear at me, and say that he believed I was gun-shy. He staggered to the wagon and got out his fowling piece, and said he was going to try me. He loaded it, went to a little distance, and was going to fire, when the young man who owned Bob said he wasn't going to have his dog's legs shot off, and coming up he unfastened him and took him away. You can imagine my feelings, as I stood there tied to the tree, with that stranger pointing his gun directly at me. He fired close to me a number of times, all over my head and under my body. The earth was cut up all around me. I was terribly frightened and howled and begged to be free. 
the other young men, who were sitting laughing at me, thought it such good fun that they got their guns, too. I never wished to spend such a terrible hour again. I was sure they would kill me. I dare say they would have done so, for they were all quite drunk by this time, if something had not happened. Poor Bob, who was almost as frightened as I was, and who lay shivering under the wagon, was killed by a shot fired by his own master, whose hand was most unsteady of all. He gave one loud howl, kicked convulsively, and then turned over on his side and lay still. It sobered them all. They ran up to him, but he was quite dead. They sat for a while very silent. Then they threw the rest of the bottles in the lake, dug a shallow grave for Bob, and putting me in the wagon, drove slowly back to town. They were not bad young men. I don't think they meant to hurt me or to kill Bob. It was the nasty stuff in the bottles that took away their reason. I was never quite the same dog again. I was quite deaf in my right ear, and though I strove against it, I was so terribly afraid of even the sight of a gun that I would run and hide myself whenever one was shown to me. My master was very angry with those young men, and it seems if he could not bear the sight of me. One day he took me very kindly and brought me here, and asked Mr. Morris if he did not want a good-natured dog to play with the children. I have a happy home here, and I love the Morris boys, but I often wish that I could keep from putting my tail between my legs and running home every time I hear the sound of a gun. Never mind that, Jim, I said. You should not fret over such a thing for which you are not to blame. I am sure you must be glad for one reason that you have left your old life. What is that, he said. On account of the birds. You know Miss Laura thinks it's wrong to kill the pretty creatures that fly above the fields. So it is, he said, unless one kills them at once. I have often felt angry with men for only half killing a bird. I hated to pick up the little warm body and see the bright eye looking so reproachfully at me and feel the flutter of life. We animals kill mercifully. It is only human beings who butcher their prey and seem, some of them, to rejoice in their agony. I used to be eager to kill birds and rabbits, but I did not want to keep them before me long after they were dead. I often stop in the streets and look up at fine ladies' hats and wonder how they can wear dead birds in such dreadful positions. Some of them have their heads twisted under their rings and over their shoulders and looking toward their tails, and their eyes are so horrible that I wish I could take those ladies into the woods and let them see how graceful and pretty a live bird is and how unlike the stuffed creatures they wear. Have you ever had a good run in the woods, Joe? No, never, I said. Some day I will take you, but now it is late and I must go to bed. Are you going to sleep in the kennel with me or in the stable? I think I shall sleep with you, Jim. Dogs like company, you know, as well as human beings. I curled up in the straw beside him, and soon we were fast asleep. I have known a good many dogs, but I don't think I ever saw such a good one as Jim. He was gentle and kind, and so sensitive that a hard word hurt him more than a blow. He was a great pet with Mrs. Morris, and he, as he had been so well trained, he made himself very useful to her. When she went shopping, he often carried a parcel in his mouth for her. He would never leave it anywhere. One day, she dropped her purse, and Jim picked it up and brought it home in his mouth. She did not notice him, for he always walked behind her. When she got to her own door, she missed the purse and, turning around, saw it in Jim's mouth. Another day, a lady gave Jack Morris a canary cage as a present for Carl. He was bringing it home when one of the little seed boxes fell out. Jim picked it up and carried it a long way before Jack discovered it. Chapter 9. The Parrot 
Bella. I often used to hear the Morrises speak about vessels that ran between Fairport and a place called the West Indies, carrying cargoes of lumber and fish, and bringing home molasses, spices, fruit, and other things. On one of these vessels was a cabin boy who was a friend of the Morris boys and often brought them presents. One day, after I had been at the Morrises for some months, this boy arrived at the house with a bunch of green bananas in his arms and a parrot on his shoulder. The boys were delighted with the parrot and called their mother to see what a pretty bird she was. Mrs. Morris seemed very much touched by the boy's thoughtfulness in bringing a present such a long distance and thanked him warmly. The cabin boy became very shy and all he could say was, go away, over and over again, in a very awkward manner. Mrs. Morris smiled and left him with the boys. I think that she thought he would be more comfortable with them. Jack put me on the table to look at the parrot. The boy held her by a string tied around one of her legs. She was a gray parrot with a few red feathers in her tail, and she had bright eyes and a very knowing air. The boy said he had been careful to buy a young one that could not speak, for he knew the Morris boys would not want one chattering foreign gibberish, nor yet one that would swear. He had kept her in his bunk in the ship and had spent all his leisure time in teaching her to talk. Then he looked at her anxiously and said, "'Show off now, can't she?' I didn't know what he meant by all this until afterward. I had never heard of such a thing as birds talking. I stood on the table staring hard at her, and she stared hard at me. I was just thinking that I would not like to have her sharp little beak fastened in my skin when I heard someone say, "'Beautiful Joe!' The voice seemed to come from the room, but I knew all the voices there, and this is one I had never heard before, so I thought I must be mistaken, and it was someone in the hall. I struggled to get away from Jack, to run and see who it was, but he held me fast and laughed with all his might. I looked at the other boys, and they were laughing too. Presently I heard again, "'Beautiful Joe! Beautiful Joe!' The sound was close by, and yet it did not come from the cabin boy, for he was all doubled up laughing, his face red as a beet. "'It's the parrot, Joe,' cried Ned. "'Look at her, you baby. Her eyes are on the cabin boys. He's spent hours in teaching her to say things about this family. She doesn't recognize any of us.' I did look at her, with her head on one side and the sauciest air in the world. She was saying, "'Beautiful Joe! Beautiful Joe!' I had never heard a bird talk before, and I felt so sheepish that I tried to get down and hide myself under the table. Then she began to laugh at me. Ha ha ha, good dog, sick'em boy, rats, rats, beautiful Joe, beautiful Joe, she cried, rattling off the words as fast as she could. I never felt so queer before in my life, and the boys were just roaring with delight at my puzzled face. Then the parrot began to call for Jim. Where's Jim? Where's good old Jim? "'Poor old dog. Give him a bone.' "'The boys brought Jim in, "'and when he heard her funny little cracked voice calling him, "'he nearly went crazy. "'Jimmy, Jimmy, James Augustus,' she said, "'which was Jim's long name. "'He made a dash out of the room, "'and the boys screamed so "'that Mr. Morris came down from his study "'to see what the noise meant. "'As soon as the parrot saw him, "'she would not utter another word.' The boys told him, though, what she had been saying, and he seemed much amused to think that the cabin boy should have remembered so many of his boys' expressions and taught them to the parrot. Clever, Polly, he said kindly. Good, Polly. The cabin boy looked at him shyly, and Jack, who was a very sharp lad, said quickly, Is that not what you call her, Henry? No, said the boy. I call her Belle, short for Beelzebub. 
I beg your pardon, said Jack. Bell, sort for Belzebub, repeated the boy. You see, I thought you'd like a name from the Bible, being a minister's son. I hadn't any Bible with me on this cruise, save in your presence, and I couldn't think of any girl's name out of it, for Eve or Queen of Sheba, and they didn't seem quite fit. So I asked one of my mates, and he says, for his part, he guessed Belzebub was just a pretty a girl's name as any. So I give her that would have been better to let you name her. But you see, it wouldn't have been a handy not to call her something when I was teaching her every day. Jack turned away and walked to the window, his face a deep scarlet. He heard him mutter, Beelzebub, Prince of Devils. So I suppose the cabin boy had given his bird a bad name. Mr. Morris looked kindly at the cabin boy. Do you ever call the parrot by her whole name? No, sir, he replied. I always give her Bell, but she calls herself Bella. Bella, repeated Mr. Morris. That is a pretty name. If you keep her, boys, I think you had better stick to that. Yes, father, they all said. And then Mr. Morris started to go back to his study. On the door sill, he paused to ask the cabin boy when his ship sailed. Finding that it was to me in a few days, he took out his pocketbook and wrote something in it. The next day, he asked Jack to go to town with him, and when they came home, Jack said that his father had bought an oilskin coat for Henry Smith and a handsome Bible, in which they were all to write their names. After Mr. Morris left the room, the door opened and Miss Laura came in. She knew nothing about the parrot and was very much surprised to see it. Seating herself at the table, she held out her hands to it. She was so fond of pets of all kinds that she never thought of being afraid of them. At the same time, she never laid her hand suddenly on any animal. She held out her fingers and talked gently, so if it wished to come to her, it would. She looked at the parrot as if she loved it, and the queer little thing walked right up and nestled its head against the lace in the front of her dress. "'Pretty lady,' she said in a cracked whisper, "'give Bella a kiss.' The boys were so pleased with this and set up such a shout that their mother came into the room and said they'd better take the parrot out to the stable. Bella seemed to enjoy the fun. Come on, boys, she screamed as Henry Smith lifted her on his finger. Ha ha ha. Come on. Let's have some fun. Where's the guinea pig? Where's Davy the rat? Where's pussy? Pussy, pussy, come here. Pussy, pussy, dear. Pretty puss. Her voice was shrill and distinct, and very like the voice of an old woman who came to the house for rags and bones. I followed her out to the stable, and stayed there until she screamed out, Ha! Ah, Joe! Beautiful Joe! Where's your tail? Who cut your ears off? I don't think it was kind in the cabin boy to teach her this, and I think she knew it teased me, for she said it over and over again and laughed and chuckled with delight. I left her, and did not see her till the next day, when the boys had bought a fine large cage for her. The place for her cage was by one of the hall windows, but everybody in the house got so fond of her that she was moved about from one room to another. She hated her cage, and used to put her head close to the bars and plead, "'Let Bella out. Bella will be a good girl. Bella won't run away.' After a time, the Morrises did let her out, and she kept her word and never tried to get away. Jack put a little handle on her cage door so she could open and shut it herself, and it was very amusing to hear her say in the morning, "'Clear the track, children. Bella's going to take a walk,' and see her turn the handle with her claw and come out into the room. She was a very clever bird, and I have never seen any creature but a human being that could reason as she did.' She was so petted and talked to that she got to know a great many words, and on one occasion she saved the Morrises from being robbed. 
It was in the wintertime. The family was having tea in the dining room at the back of the house, and Billy and I were lying in the hall watching what was going on. There was no one in the front of the house. The hall lamp was lighted, and the hall door closed, but not locked. Some sneak thieves, who had been doing a great deal of mischief in Fairport, crept up the steps and into the house, and opening the door of the hall closet, laid their hands in the boys' winter overcoats. They thought no one saw them, but they were mistaken. Bella had been having a nap upstairs and had not come down when the tea bell rang. Now she was hopping down on her way to the dining room and hearing the slight noise below stopped and looked through the railing. Any pet creature lived in this nice family knew what happened when beggars boys came to call. Company's coming, she screamed loudly. Get out the tea, bring some cake, quick, quick. Billy and I sprang up and pushed open the door leading to the front hall. We had smelt the thieves who, in a terrible fright, were just rushing down the outside steps. One of them got away, but the other fell, and I caught him by the coat, till Mr. Morris ran and put his hand on his shoulder. He was a young fellow, about Jack's age, but not one half so manly, and he was sniffling and scolding about that pesky parrot. Mr. Morris made him come back into the house and had a talk with him. He found out that he was a poor, ignorant lad, half-starved by a drunken father. He and his brother stole clothes and sent them to his sister in Boston, who sold them and returned part of the money. Mr. Morris asked him if he would not like to get his living in an honest way, and he said he had tried to, but no one would employ him. Mr. Morris told him to go home and take leave of his father and get his brother and bring him to Washington Street the next day. He told him plainly that if he did not, he would send a policeman after him. The boy begged Mr. Morris not to do that, and early the next morning he appeared with his brother. Mrs. Morris gave them a good breakfast and fitted them out with clothes. Then they were sent off in the train to one of her brothers, who was a kind farmer in the country, and who had been telegraphed to that the boys were coming and wanted situations where they would have a chance to make honest men of themselves. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Visit our website at www.enchantedlibrary.net to see our past books or to connect with us on Facebook. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.